Okay, uh, The Peacemaker is the book we are working through, and uh, I, don't, I don't do books often. We a lot of times do Bible studies. We'll do more uh, direct studies from the Scripture, but this is one of those books that's just so helpful, and it's something that you really ought to do every once in a while. So, actually, I went and bought some more of these. I went and cleaned them out, so I bought the rest of the ones they had at Ollie's. I have four more. If you would like to purchase one, they are $3.99. If you do like $5, that will cover the tax and everything. And um, you can just take one and then put that in the offering plate. I will let you can either come get it now or you can wait till after the service. You do whatever you want. Um, but uh, and then a handout here from the back, front and back. We will pick up where we left off last time. We talked just as a quick review. One of the main ideas from la- the first chapter is that God allows conflict in our life for opportunities. We should see conflict as an opportunity, not as a. What, do you remember the other two uh, examples that I gave or that he gives in the book for how sometimes people. Th- oh, you're gonna, you don't have to give me the $5 now. I'll, okay. Okay, let's do this. All right, there. There we go. Not overthrowing any, any tables in the. Yes, ma'am. A hazard. I thought you said pastor. I was like, yes, absolutely. I'll. Yes, some people see uh, conflict as a hazard, right? It's a threat to me, and I don't like it. Other people see it as an obstacle to be overcome, despite anything, you know, just kind of like a bull in a china shop, just go, right, run through. And so uh, he works through that. He talks about the fact that we should see uh, this as an opportunity, and we talked about the the different ways, a slippery slope of conflict, um, which is there in your book if you have one. But let's, let's keep going. We're going to talk a little bit about glorifying God. He says here, and I mentioned this last time, that to glorify God is to bring God praise and honor by showing who He is, what He is like, and what He is doing. And, and this is what opportunity, this is the main opportunity given to us by conflict is that we can glorify God in our conflict. And most people don't think about conflict as a way of glorifying God. Most people see conflict as, can I win? And so uh, that is why, uh, that's why this is so, so important. So uh, what are some practical ways? I need you guys to look up some verses for me. We're going to look at these verses. What are some practical ways that we can glorify God? And who wants to read the first? We're just going to go right through it. So the first one, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Who's got it? Okay, yes, ma'am. All right, to glorify God, good. To glorify God practically, number one, what's the simplest way we can glorify God? Trust Him. To trust God, okay? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths or make your paths straight, right? Trusting God. And trusting God means that you Instead of relying on your own ideas, you do what he says. And this is, this is easy to say. It's hard to do, right? Like we all get in situations where we are just used to doing things. And I say this often that, that change is hard. It's hard to change, especially and you get used to having habits of responding to people. Like we all have habits when we, we respond a certain way, in certain ways to certain things. And we need to start thinking in terms of trusting God's way. Well, it doesn't matter if you feel like doing it or if you don't want to do it. You've got to trust that God's way is right. Okay, Matthew 5, 16, and then John 17, 4. Who can read Matthew 5? Okay, right here. Okay, and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light so shine. Okay, John 17, 4. He's got that one. Yes, sir. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work. 
which you have given me to do. Okay, Jesus here speaking about glorifying the Father. Uh, the simple thing here is to obey. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Your good works, your obedience, and glorify your Father. People will glorify God as you obey. When you respond rightly in conflict, when you obey God in conflict, uh, you give the opportunity to glorify God. It makes God great, and it puts you in the right context, okay? Um, the next one, um, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Okay, Colin? Okay, how can we glorify God according to this verse? Imitate, right? And in fact, the idea of imitation, I think in Greek it's like mimetai. It's the idea of mimicking something. Mimic, copy. Do, do what they do. Uh, when I was working at the bank years ago as a kid, as a teenager, um, there was a guy who I, I worked in, in, in his office was a picture of himself, and he was cutting the grass, and behind him was his son with his bubble lawnmower. Have you ever seen those bubble lawnmowers? You know, you push them, the bubbles come out the side. And it was hilarious because they were wearing the exact same outfit, and the dad was doing his thing, and the son was walking exactly. And that, we've seen those pictures a hundred times, right? We all have seen how kids copy their parents, and kids copy each other. Kids copy, they mimic, and so we are to imitate God, imitate Christ, imitate God. By imitating God, we can glorify God. Now, this can get kind of tricky, and I, uh, we're not going to talk about it, I think, right now at length, but there's, there's, when we imitate God, we're talking about specifically imitating His, what we call, communicable attributes. The, the communicable attributes of God are the attributes that we can reflect there are also non-communicable attributes of God. Can someone give me a non-communicable attribute of God? Omniscience, Omniscience omnipotence, so knowing everything and being all-powerful. What's the problem when people try to, to, try to imitate God's non-communicable attributes? <laughs> well, they can't. But a lot of people try to. They, they act like they know everything. They act like they can do everything, right? But they can't, yeah. That is not being godly. That's not being Christ-like. Being Christ-like is being loving and merciful and gracious, etc. Okay? Imitate God. Uh, next, uh, Philippians 2.13. Who wants to read that one? Jimmy? Philippians 2.13. Yes, sir. Or it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Amen. And then First Peter three fourteen through sixteen. Yes, Sherry. Um, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. Okay, I don't know if you picked up a theme here that we must acknowledge God. You see that? We must acknowledge Him. It is God who works in you both to will and do His good will. You cannot start take. You can't. You have to deflect the credit from yourself, and this is hard because we like to we like to gather the credit and get brownie points. 
don't we? Don't we like, the, we like the brownie points? We like if we handle something well, we want to be patted on the back and encouraged. What he's saying is rather than, rather than um, acknowledging your own abilities, rather than saying, hey, I'm really good at this, rather than taking credit, we need to acknowledge God. And this is, um, any questions at this point? Does it make sense? How to glor- just practical ways we can glorify God. Okay. Sometimes we talk about glorifying God and it gets kind of out there. It gets kind of difficult for us to think of ways we can glorify God. These are ways you can glorify God today. All right? And tomorrow. Maybe today's already done. But tomorrow you can glorify God. Now, the book, uh, The Peacemaker, is, it really centers on this next section. There are what he calls the four G's of peacemaking. And I think this is great because we've used these four G's when we've done um, uh, peacemaking in, in my office with, uh, with, with families that are having uh, disputes. Um, we've used them with our kids. Uh, we've talked about this uh, often. So, the four G's of peacemaking kind of forms the backbone of this book, and we'll be reviewing these over and over again. So this is not the only time you're going to see these four G's, and I will also encourage you to even memorize them and think about them. If you've, been in, if you've done counseling with us, sometimes you've already memorized these, verse, these uh, four G's. But the, they go in this, this direction, so they're easy to remember. The first one is that the four G's are, number one, glorify God, and we just talked about this a little bit. Number one is that you commit to glorify God. Okay, in every situation, you commit to glorify God. And briefly, one of the ways this can work is before you discuss anything when there's a conflict, is you both commit to glorifying God in the conflict. So um, there was one scenario where we had a family that was having some big fights in the family, a lot of, I mean, bad blood going back many years, right? And we went around the room, we said, said, we're going to stop before we even begin. We're going to have everybody pray and ask that God be glorified in in this discussion. Okay? And that is very important that everyone's on the same page, that you're glorifying God. It's not about glorifying self. It's not about being right. It's not about who wins. It's about glorifying God. So that's the first G. The second G is to get the log out of your own eye. Okay? And this, this is, does anybody remember what this is referencing? What image is he talking about here? Think about it. Right, taking responsibility for your part. So, so if the first question is, how can I please and honor God? This is, how can I show Jesus' work in me by taking responsibility for my contributions to the conflict? So this is talking about the image that Jesus says when he says, uh, what, what are you doing when you look at your brother and you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the what? The beam, the log, the big, as some people have said, telephone pole, like the gigantic post that is sticking out of your face. Like it's, it's supposed to be, we've heard it so many times, to us it isn't that funny, but to Jesus' audience it would have been a, a, a clash of images. It would have been a very funny kind of moment. A, a law, a beam out of my eye, uh, that's, you know, how could you not notice? How could you not notice there is a log sticking out of your eye? And yet when it comes to conflict, we have to deal with ourselves first. That's Jesus' principle here. How can you help your brother get the speck out of his eye if you have a log in your eye? You can't. You can't see to do it. It's impossible. And so before we can actually help someone else change, we have to change. Does that make sense? We're going to talk about this at length. So we're doing like the skip along the top of the pond here at the beginning, and then we'll dive deep later. All right? The third G is gently restore. And this is... 
this is my contribution to the problem. This is their contribution to the problem. So when we sit down with people, if I sit down with someone and I'm like, let's talk about the conflict you have together, then normally the first thing that happens is, well, she, well, he, right? And, and what, I, what we really want to do biblically, what Jesus says, is we don't start with, well, her issue is that she won't ever, or his issue is that, no, I'm sorry, don't do that. We start with, well, here's how I contributed to the problem. I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And we go through the whole confession process and forgiveness and restoration on your side before you ever confront the other person about their conflict. Now, you tell me, what's the benefit of that? Then you can see it. Yeah, the Bible tells us we can't even see the other person's fault unless we first cleared our own. Jenna? And theoretically, if you do one and two, you don't need three because if each person goes around and is honest about their contribution, then it takes the pressure off of the other people to say, well, here's how you're yeah. Yeah, in some way, I think that's true. I think there also are times when you have to point out like blind spots. You know, there are things that you'll have to, but you're right that it, it really prepares the ground. There's a huge difference, okay, when you have already said, look, here's my, here's my contribution to the problem. I'm really sorry. Would you forgive me for what I did here? I'm sorry. Would you forgive me for what I did here? Then when you say, yeah, well, did you see how when you did this, it actually did this? Like it totally changes the dynamic than if you had come on the attack. So that's why you must, you must get the log out before you are gently restoring one another. And, and that is important. You do it gently. This is not beat somebody in the head with a sledgehammer, right? This is gentle, gentle and kind. And then the last one is go and be reconciled. Go and be reconciled. So there is reconciliation. The goal of conflict resolution is reconciliation. Um, and that's twofold. Yeah, it's, it's involving God and us. Yeah, yeah. Involving our reconciliation with God and with others. Absolutely. Um, a couple other things here. Uh, I noted, I liked this. Uh, can somebody look up Deuteronomy 29, 29? I liked this quote, so I just pulled it out of the book and thought I'd just mention it here and focus on it for a second. Can somebody read Deuteronomy 29, 29 for me? Ron, you have it? The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Okay, think about what he says. The secret things belong to the Lord, but but what belongs to us is the things that have been revealed, that we may do the work, do the words in in this book. Um, and he says, having wisdom does not mean you understand all of God's ways. It means that you respond to life God's way. And it's not about understanding why. I mean, I, I, I sometimes don't understand why people do things, and I still don't understand why I do things sometimes. Like, you, you can't always understand, and you, sometimes you don't understand even how to do something. That's not the point. The point is not that you need to understand everything. He says wisdom is about, and the blank here is trust. And I think that's a really profound thought, that wisdom is really about trust. It goes back to Proverbs 3. Like, having wisdom does not mean you understand everything about what God is doing. You don't have to understand every little thing that God is detailed in your life. Things are complicated in your life, and you're like, "I I don't understand why this happened, why did this happen, not this happen, why it happened to me and not to to them, why it happened to them and not to me. Wisdom is about trust, and I think that takes us a long way. Conflict provides opportunities, chapter number one. 
Any questions on that before I, I dive into the second? Yes, Skip. Secular humanism teaches just the opposite, and that's what's happening in our culture today. In, in what way? It's, te it's saying, we want you to have all the details. Oh, you yeah. have to look at this, you have to look at that. And it takes, uh, it takes selfishness to a maximum mm. instead of serving right. and yielding. That's a really good point that, um, that the, and, and the internet makes that worse. I mean, you could, you could do, um, you could research, I mean, if you wanted to buy the best pair of socks, there's probably like YouTube videos out there about socks. There probably are, or shoelaces. I bet there are, vid I bet there are YouTube videos about something as simple as a shoelace. Like here's the most, uh, different kinds of shoelaces. I bet you, you could go down the rabbit hole and people feel like they have to accumulate knowledge to themselves in order to make, you know, and if they just had all the best knowledge, they can make the best decisions. Friends, we, wisdom is about trusting the Lord and about moving forward and not being caught up in that. Absolutely. Don't be so self-centered in that. Um, in the second chapter, he talks about living at peace. And so there are three dimensions of peace offered through Christ that God offers through Christ. Let's talk about these. There are three main areas or dimensions, he calls them, of peace. Let's look at this first one out of Colossians 1, 19 and 20, and then Romans 5, 1 and 2. Um, who wants to read Colossians? Let me read. In fact, before we do that, I had one more quote. I wanted. I didn't put it on our sheet here, but it's just from the book. He says that um, since conflicts are opportunities, God expects. What are we supposed to do with opportunities? How are we supposed to treat opportunities that God gives us? Seize them. Okay. Grow through them. Don't think about it as a conflict. Think about just opportunities. Like when God gives you an opportunity or God gives you a gift, what, what is our, what is our, receive to receive it? Okay. I'm not asking a very good question here. Be thankful for it. Trust in his wisdom. How about, how about using the words, how about the idea of stewarding? Okay. We talk about stewardship when it comes to God's gifts to us all the time. Money, gifts, talents, abilities. We steward these towards God, right? We talk about that. And he makes the point that these opportunities, if they're given by God, which they are, God has empowered you through the gospel. He's entrusted you with the abilities and the spiritual resources to steward conflict. That's not some way we usually think about conflict. It's an if it's an opportunity from God, if we see it as an opportunity to glorify Him, then every, every conflict is, an, is a stewardship opportunity for us to, to manage this conflict towards God's glory. And so he points out that in order to do this, you must be motivated, informed, strengthened, dependent, and faithful. That is, you cannot do this haphazardly. You need to be committed to it, which is why we're doing these studies, because I want you to be informed, and I hope you're committed to having biblical uh, stewardship. All right, let's keep going here. Um, God's grace, three dimensions of peace. I mean, not grace, peace. Three dimensions of peace here. Um, the first, uh, Colossians 1, 19 through 20. Who's got it? Yes, Cassie. Okay, having made peace through the blood of his cross. How, what realm of peace is this? This is peace with God. How do we, through Christ, we have peace with God. And Romans 5.1, which I'll quote, is, is having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through Christ. Peace with God is established through the blood of Christ on the cross. Amen. 
right? We can have peace, have peace with God. But Ephesians 2 uh, is a long section, so we're not going to read all of it. Let's just go to Psalm 133, verse 1. What's this, what's this, other, this other realm or dimension of peace? Psalm 133? Yes, Jenna? So this is peace with others. Very good. Peace with others. And these are tied together. These are tied together. And then number three, um, I had 1 John 3, 21 through 24. In the back of your Bible, tiny little book of 1 John 3, 21 through 24. Who's got it? Right there yet? Yes, Charles. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Through what? Through 24. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as He gave us commandment. Now He who keeps the commandments abides in Him, and He in Him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Amen. If our heart condemns us, how does that say? If our heart. Charles, well, how does it say? It says, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Our heart does not condemn us. We have confidence towards God. That's right. Verse 20 is if our heart condemns us. There we go. God is greater than our heart. That's what I was thinking. That's right. So the peace here he's talking about is the peace within yourself. That there is peace with God, peace with others, and peace within yourselves, ourselves. There is internal peace that comes from knowing God. In fact, he points out here, so Isaiah 26.3. Anybody have that memorized? Yes, Skip. That's it, because he trusts in you, right? Uh, Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace. And Hebrew there is shalom, shalom, the, the perfect fullness of peace. If your mind is stayed on God, because you trust in him. So he points out here that internal peace is a byproduct of righteousness. That's your blank. It's a byproduct of righteousness, Let's just think about this for a second and how, this is, how, we, how we live this out. Peace does not come before righteousness. Peace comes after righteousness. Peace does not come before we obey. Peace comes after we obey. So when you're tempted to not obey because you don't feel like obeying. I've actually heard people say, well, I didn't feel a peace about this. Sometimes when you are getting ready to do something very hard, you don't feel peace about it. That does not mean you should not obey God. We don't live by our feelings. If we did, we'd be in a mess. We shouldn't live by our feelings, but people do often live by our feelings. Peace within ourselves comes from obedience. I'm sorry, peace comes from byproduct uh, of righteousness and obedience. As we obey and as we do what is right, God gives peace. 
The peace of God surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts in mind. That comes after we obey God. It's not a prerequisite for obedience. Okay? Does that, do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Am I clear? That right feelings follow right actions. Correct. Not necessarily the other way. Now, sometimes you do feel good about doing right, right? Sometimes you, you feel empowered and excited to do what's right. But I can tell you, there, was, <laughs> there have been times when I've had to do things um, in my role, even in my role as a pastor. One time I had, I've had to talk to people about things. I don't like doing that. I don't like having to sit down and like confronting somebody over something. It's not my favorite thing in the world. Um, one time I had to do this, and I, I will tell you, I just was sick to my stomach. Like, absolutely, I was like, I just don't want to do this. <laughs> I just don't want to do this. This is no fun. This is not fun. Like, nobody tells you about these kind of conversations when you're in seminary. And I'm not going to get into the details of this conversation, but they were not pleasant. And it's like, it, and it didn't feel, I didn't feel great after it was over. He didn't feel great after it was over. But, it, you know, you have to do, you have to do these things. And it, but, but I had peace knowing that I had done what I was supposed to do. And, and, and friends, a lot of us need to do that. We need to do what's right and then let peace, peace follow. And, and don't, don't get it mixed up. Because if we get it mixed up and think, well, I'm going to wait to do it until I feel like the moment is right, we will sometimes delay until we never do it. Okay. Do you see how this can, can, can be a problem with some, some thinking? All right. So these three are all codependent on each other. Without peace with God, we can't really have peace with others or peace with ourselves. Because what's going to happen is our, our others' relationships are going to be disastrous because we're going to be extremely self-centered without peace with God. And we're not going to have any peace within ourselves. If we, don't, if we don't have peace with others, are we having peace with God? Right? Well, think about it. If you're being disobedient and you're, and you're violating, uh, if you're sinning against other people, your relationship with God, your fellowship with God is... is on the rocks, in a sense. I mean, your, your relationship's still there. You're still a child of God, but you're, you're, you need to be restored to Him, right? And, and uh, the peace within ourselves, um, I think I, the, the book says they're all tied together. I agree. I think they're all tied together. They're all connected, and we have to, they're, they're joined together, as the book says, okay? Any, we have like two minutes. Any other questions or anything? Uh, we could keep going, but uh, I want to make sure I'm getting everybody your thoughts out. If you'd like to participate, I think there's just one exception to uh, if you don't have peace with others, you can't have peace with God. We're following Paul's admonition that we're as much as lies within us. Correct, yeah. Because, it, and that's a weird thing because we know, like, I may know that I've done everything I, I can to be at peace with Tim Barry, right? But Tim just, he just won't give me the time to do that. Right. It's not true enough. <laughs> That's that's a really No, that's a really that's a really good point. And I, I we didn't read that verse. It was on your list here under uh was on here. I think I had it on here somewhere. Romans some did I not? It is. It is Romans 12:18. Where is it on the sheet? Is it under peace with others? Okay. Yeah, because the idea is, is that you are trying to, as much as lie within you, as much as depends on you, be at peace with all men. And, and the reason that's so important is that, I mean, I, we've, I've seen it, that, that it only takes one person to blow up a relationship. 
right? Now, normally, as they say, it takes two to tango. Like, you know, actually to fight, it takes two people or for things to go south, normally both people have a party, but it doesn't always have to be that way. Sometimes one person can throw a bomb and destroy everything. It happens. It happens in marriages. It happens in families. It, it one, it, one person can, make, can, can wreck things. And so it's your job. You can't control other people. It's not your job to control other people. It's your job as much as it depends on you. You're supposed to live at peace with all people. And, and that is a big clause, though. Yeah, absolutely. And so are you doing as much as it depends on you? Charles? I was spinning back on the... I, I don't have a piece about this or peace about that. Yeah. Because I think it can go very wrong. But when it's not a specific item, like when God says to do something, you do it. No question. Right. When it's something a little more intangible, like something in my life that I have to make a choice one way or another, and there's really not a wrong mm. or a right. There are times where I've gone one way and then the peace of God left me completely. <laughs> and I knew it without sure. question. And there's other times where there was a peace from God to, yes, pursue this one. How do you reckon? Yeah, I, I think of that. Um, now, this is just maybe my personality. No, that's that's fine. May, my personality tends to be I lean more on the wisdom side of this than the feeling side of it. I tend to say, I tend to say, well, Lord, give me wisdom. I claim James one, and I say, Lord, give me wisdom in making a decision. Do I buy the blue car or the gray car? There's nothing moral. There's nothing moral there. Yes, sir. I think so. Yeah, peace with God is established at salvation. Okay, so peace with God is established at salvation. The peace that comes from God is subjective peace that surpasses our understanding, right? So I'm not talking about your relational peace with God, but to go back to your question a little bit, um, that's a really tough one. I, I think that's getting into like leadings of the, how the Lord leads. I don't, I don't, I, that, can, that can be difficult to pin down. Um, I'm talking more about, let's just say, couple is living together out of wedlock. So pretty clear. And they just like, well, I don't really feel good about leaving my boyfriend because, well, yeah, of course you don't feel good about it. Like who would, but you need to obey the Lord and, and not, and you need to either get married or, you know, there's a whole line of logic or biblical pattern there, but, but it's, um, or, or dealing with conflict is another thing where people would rather on the, um, remember our, our slope, would rather like flee than, than peacemake. And so what people will do is they'll say, and I, I tend towards this end, I'm being very transparent with you all, my tendency is towards the, the peace faking and Jenna's tendency is towards the peace breaking. Like we're perfectly matched. It's wonderful. Um, and, and she told me I could say that, so it's, it's okay. Um, but we do, I tend to be like, it's not a big deal. And she's like, no, it's a big deal. Let's talk about it. And, and so, but, but the people like me who tend to go that way will tend to lean on feelings and say, I don't know if it's the right time. I don't feel like the, I don't feel like it's the right time to deal with this issue. Whereas biblically we need to. And, 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 and I am glad I'm surrounded by people who help me not fall into that. And I have to, I remind myself of that often, like, okay, I can't lean on this. I have to keep, I have to do what's right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's different. Yeah, there are different benefits. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. But back with the peace of God, peace of God, 
that is, if you find that everywhere you go, you have conflict with people, then you probably have a problem right. with God. Yeah. <laughs> with your relationship with God. Not unsafe, but I mean your daily Your fellowship with God is, is that's yeah. That's the way I think of that. I think that's probably true. And we, I think I mentioned that last week, that, that, that we've talked to people before who've been like, you know, every, every church they go into, they have conflict. Every church and every relationship they have is full of conflict. And they don't have any friends. All their friends, they, you know, burn bridges. Everyone around them is toxic. You know, it's like, okay, so have you considered, <laughs> long shot, <laughs> that, that you might be the problem? <laughs> Not something you want to say to somebody ever, but, um, you know, that, that is something that, you, that uh, it has to be dealt with. And you have to ask yourself that. Look in the mirror sometimes, like, Am, am I, if I'm running into constant problems everywhere, if everyone I talk to, if everyone I deal with is having this issue with me, maybe it's not everyone else's fault. Maybe I'm the one who needs to look in the mirror and into the perfect law of liberty and allow God to correct me. So we're running out of time. We'll deal with this more. We have plenty of ground to cover. Next week, we'll cover the back part of this page, but you don't have to worry about bringing it back. I'll print you a new sheet uh, anyway, but thanks for your participation. Come ready to talk and discuss. This is helpful as we work through some of these things, and I hope that it's helping you as well. Father, give us a wonderful night. Thank you so much for the peace that's given to us through Christ. I pray that we would glorify you and honor you by how we live, um, and we would shoot for peace. We'd strive for peace, not just for, for a lack of conflict, but for true biblical peace in our relationship.